You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com. Hello there. Today, Guy Crittenden and I will be talking about other medicines here on Ayahuasca Talks. As it turns out, there are indeed other medicines <laughs> besides Ayahuasca that we can have pretty uh, profound experiences with. Um, these plant medicines tend to um, take us to places that we never thought we could go and change our whole worldview uh, several times over as has happened for me, and uh, we, we tend to want to share these kinds of stories because I know that uh, before somebody shared their own story, I, I don't think I, I would have even known that this was possible um, or that plant medicines even existed. Um, so I guess today um, I'm wondering where we should begin. We, we actually had a short discussion before the show about using psychedelics well in advance of any plant medicine experiencing and discovering that uh, they actually had hinted towards um, some possibilities in the future. And I know that that guy is going to share a short story on that. Yeah, I'm going to make it very short because our intention in the program is not really to talk about what society traditionally refers to as drugs. Um, but uh, I think a, a lot of us have a common background in using or experimenting with something uh, recreationally when we were younger. My story is not one really of a recreational use, but I just wanted to quickly mention that uh, decades before my first ayahuasca experience, when I was in my mid-twenties, I was on a hiking trip in the Adirondack Mountains with a cousin of mine and his friend, and uh, I tried uh, LSD, which I'd never, I'd never used a psychedelic before. And uh, the 30-second commercial for the experience was that I found myself able to hear um, uh, every bird and insect for miles and miles. And when I say hear them, I don't mean as a cacophony, but I was able to individually track the flight of each and behavior of each bee and each uh, bird and so on for miles and miles. And uh, my belief that this had happened was validated the next day when my companions and I walked for several kilometers and came across um, a small waterfall. It was actually a pipe sticking out of rock that I had heard from across the lake, which I should not have been able to hear and I knew exactly where it was. So the point of that story is simply that um, that opened up my mind um, to a new possibility uh, many years ago that my consciousness was much more than I had been led to believe um, and that perhaps consciousness wasn't restricted to inside of my head but also that a lot of my um, normal ordinary state of mental function was screening out as much as it was screening in experience and then of course later um, uh, when I uh, traveled to Peru in late 2013 and began to work with Amazonian teacher plants I then um, I didn't have that experience but I 
began to work with uh, plant teachers um, in a way that was more uh, ceremonial or more respectful, more guided. And, um, you know, this was, uh, this was terrific. So I guess all I'm saying is, uh, actually, I think what we might want to dwell on, Rebecca, just for a moment, is something we were talking about earlier, which is that people um, may have encounters with um, things like mushrooms and things when they're teenagers and they're using them recreationally and they'll experience colors and they'll have fun and they'll laugh and they'll <laughs> giggle and we've all heard those kinds of stories. Um, but sometimes people don't know quite what they're messing with and they may find themselves having what they think of as a bad experience, quote unquote, but what's actually happening is the egoic structures of their mind are being uh, dissolved or going through a boundary dissolving. And this is something that I might seek out, but it, I can imagine it would be terrifying if you uh, weren't expecting it and if you spent the night fighting it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't know, you know, it's it's really hard to remember a lot of detail about experiences I had when I was younger. But I do remember that I um, uh, I had experiences with cannabis that I put down to um, paranoia. And <laughs> this was just the, the, the Band-Aid word that people used for, you can't have fun with it, so we're going to call that paranoia. And, and I went along with that and said, okay, yeah, that must be what it is, because um, I went into a very intense state uh, when I experienced pa uh, cannabis and I couldn't sit there and party and listen to music and, and, and giggle like the rest of them. Um, and I, there was one that stood out, though, um, that happened later when I was a little older and decided to try it again. And it was definitely a very intense communication. And during that that period of time... I had the thought, I know that when I come out of this, I'm not going to remember all of this. And, and of course, that's now familiar from plant medicine experiences. Um, but another thing that I, I wanted to share today and that both Guy and I were talking about is how these medicines work together, which is truly phenomenal. Mm, yeah. My first uh, medicine was Iboga. And uh, after Iboga, I was... And like months and months later, um, after a lot of personal upheaval, um, I was ready to do another um, medicine. And I was hoping for ayahuasca, but I was led toward peyote, and I, I trusted this. And I remember um, coming across a, a, a woman with uh, Mayan roots. Um, I was in Mexico, and she gave me a Mayan massage, but there was some, there was a very spiritual aspect to this whole process. And she said, you know, I, I told her about having done um, Iboga and that I was going to, to do uh, peyote. And she said, you know, all of these plants work together. And um, uh, not long before I did peyote, I, I was curious about the experience to come. And I was thinking about that as I as I was slipping into sleep. And when I was in that half sleep, half awake theta state, 
I started to have uh, visions with my eyes closed, and they were all triangular and very colorful. And, of course, as soon as I um, got to the place where I was going to experience peyote, I could see these, these same patterns weaved through all of the local clothing made by the Huichol people. And it, it became very clear that this was the kind of, you know, visionary experience that, that people generally have on peyote. And, and sure enough, um, I did. Uh, but in advance of that, uh, that uh, experience, the person who was administering it um, was making me aware of the tradition of, of offerings. And he said, there's something that you have to offer. And immediately in my mind, um, popped into my mind uh, this this crystal that I have. It's It was a, a jade crystal on, um, on a chain, and it was used for, for dousing which is um, people using it to, to get answers to questions. Hmm. And it never worked for me. You know, It was something I felt really uncomfortable. I bought it on a whim and, and, and just could never really diligently keep at making it work. And I've seen other people do it, but it didn't work for me. But I kept it. And immediately I knew that this is what I had to give. And I told him that, and he's going, no, 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 just get something locally, you know, buy something from the locals, which, of course, I was happy to do. And uh, and up we went to the up this mountain, and there was a whole ceremony. We were supposed to um, give our offerings, and <laughs> and you know this thing that I bought um, to replace the thing I knew that I needed to offer uh, was was missing from my backpack as we got to the top of the mountain. So it was it was just this series of events that kept confirming that this thing that popped into my head, I knew I had to do, and my intention was to access that part of me that. You know, I had had this this message saying everything you need is inside of you, and and my my response was okay. Show me, show me what that is and and how I can access it and use it. You know, to help myself. And so there is this dousing um, stone that came to mind, which is all about getting answers to questions. And and it was at home in Toronto, and there I was in in Mexico. I went through the ceremony. Had a dark experience, but a really helpful one taught me a lot. Um, a sort of egoic death, in a way, and and uh, a big education about um, how I was relying on intellect to get me through a lot of things, and that it wasn't going to help, and it was harmful. Mm. And uh, and I knew that this this was lingering in my mind about this this stone that I had to that I had to offer, and I knew that I had to bury it. Mm. I went home. And the earth is frozen. It's January. Um, I can't bury this thing. <laughs> but I've got it in my mind that I have to do it. Anyway, then I, I went and finally ayahuasca was ready for me. I went down to Peru, came back. And as soon as I came back, of course, the earth is ready, you know, for this burial. And I buried it as soon as I came back. And then sure enough, this this guiding voice kicked in and it's been with me ever since. <laughs> oh, so you, so you feel that the ritual of burying this dousing crystal was related to some opening up of your third eye kind of thing? Well, I mean, this is the way that they, these things rolled out, you know, so it was hard not to see a theme there and and a connection between mm -hmm. what the dousing um, stone was supposed to be doing and how um, I was asking for, for guidance, really, for accessing this, this thing that could help me. And um, Anyway... Sorry, was that uh, was that peyote that you were talking about um, as the 
the last medicine in that story? Um, peyote uh, was the one that made it clear to me that it's the, the dousing stone that I had to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a ritual with peyote that peyote initiated, too, um, where <laughs> the night before I do it, I'm woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's also a very special time that I get woken up a lot by dreams and all kinds of things. But uh, I... This time I woke up, I was just so cold, I felt, oh, this is the reason. I'm just cold and I can't sleep. But suddenly I felt like I had to write, and I put my pencil to paper, and all this stuff started coming out, and it was all a response to things that were heavy on my mind at the time, things that concerned um, world politics and my involvement and my need to step back and and my battle, my internal battle over that, thinking that I was walking away from something that was... Um, that was worthy, you know, that was a worthy cause and, and being very confused about where I, what I felt about that. And the writing that Peyote inspired was all about how we've been going through this for so many years and never really learning from it. Mm. And ousting one seemingly bad government to just replace it with another one that does the very same thing mm-hmm. with a different flavor and that we haven't really learned the you know the fundamental lessons that we need to learn and engaging in that kind of um, action to you know take away the bad guys and replace them with good guys is, is yeah. really just us not learning about what our true nature <laughs> I, I, I relate to that because I've certainly been shown that um, I mean until we create a human consciousness shift um, we're not going to uh, uh, make lasting change um, to our political and other other structures they will simply reflect our unconsciousness um, it's uh, I have not used peyote myself but one of the other teacher plants I've worked with on uh, several occasions other than ayahuasca is um, San Pedro cactus, which is called Wachuma. Uh, I've seen different spellings for it. Uh, I tend to spell it H-U-A-C-H-U-M-A. I've seen it spelled with a W. Um, uh, But I believe they're referring to the same plant. It's important to also understand there are different varietals of these plants. So um, just like different kinds of wine from different regions, there's different ayahuascas and different um, additional plants and it's similar I gather with Wachuma. Wachuma is similar to peyote in that mescaline is the psychoactive substance um, and there is a subnote in it of a of another chemical that is an analog of heroin and I don't want to alarm people by saying that it's very small part of the experience but it just adds a bit of warmth and the sense of being held in a kind of warm container Um, but I believe the Wachuma or San Pedro experiences would be somewhat similar to peyote it's uh, referred to for those who don't know as uh, the grandfather medicine uh, uh, often uh, with uh, ayahuasca being referred to as the grandmother and it is purported to have a masculine energy and that was certainly my experience Um, one never knows how much this was the result of it being suggested that it was a masculine energy but it certainly seemed to be that way for me and my experience of it was that the medicine voice with which i interacted 
for the seven or eight hours each time when it came in was kind of like a, a kindly old grandfather that kind of pulls your ear and says, come on, Sonny, don't take yourself so seriously. And it was very playful, uh, serious, but, but playful. Um, and not always, but it's uh, Wachuma is usually taken during the day. I've done a nighttime ceremony with it. Um, but the two favorite experiences I had were during the day. And somebody asked me a while ago um, if I could describe what the experience was like. And of course, some of these things are impossible. But uh, one of the features was um, when I would lie back and close my eyes, I wasn't having the same kind of visionary experience that I had with ayahuasca. But when I opened my eyes and looked into the plants and the trees and the for beautiful forest setting, um, I would see what felt like the light and the energies from within these plants and trees. Very similar to the animation in the James Cameron film Avatar, where if you remember the, um, the, the Navi characters in the, who represent indigenous people, um, uh, have a similar way of seeing um, the life and energies in this great forest, in this great grandmother tree that the mining company ultimately wants to knock down. So uh, that's one aspect of it. As an amusing aside, uh, the first time I did it, I was lying back and I felt the medicine come on. It was very gentle, as they say, much more gentle than ayahuasca. And I was wearing my glasses and the medicine voice gently said to me, why don't you try taking off your glasses? And as soon as I did what looked like just ordinary trees and uh, tree boughs and, and leaves above me all turned into sort of playful, magical snakes. And wherever the sky was blue, they were blue snakes. And wherever the sky was green, they were green snakes. And at first, having gone through ayahuasca, I sort of pulled back a bit and they said, no, 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 don't be afraid of us. We're happy snakes. Come on, we're going to have a great, great day together. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the whole, the whole day was, was very beautiful and magical. I had done this in, in the company of some people that included some wonderful people for, who were Quebecois, who were playing uh, violin or fiddle and guitar. And they were improvisational musicians. So the whole day was, I, I'll, I'll think of that till my dying day is one of the most beautiful days of my life. Um, so I, I do recommend that people consider Wachuma. Um, if something funny can happen when we go to Peru and we come back with religion, so to speak, for <laughs> ayahuasca, and we start singing ayahuasca's praises. But there are companion plants like this. And um, as Rebecca said, they, they, they can sort of work in tandem with one another. In fact, just this weekend, I met a woman who goes to Peru and diets a lot of plants. And uh, the shaman that she works with, uh, the curandero, um, he actually has people do uh, alternate. So he'll, you'll be down there for a couple of weeks and you'll drink ayahuasca and then you drink wachuma and then you drink ayahuasca. And this is quite controversial. Some people uh, don't think that's a good idea, but uh, she, she said it was great. So I want to comment on one of the things you said about... Um when you were describing the character, you know, I mean, for those people who haven't had these experiences, it must seem very strange. <laughs> um, and, you know, they really do 
have these distinct characters when they come through, and the medicine voice is a very good way to describe it. Um, because, well, first of all, ayahuasca is a collective. But uh, many of us experience her at some point as, as being this feminine. And in fact, she appeared to me and appeared to a lot of people in a very feminine way, just that you knew right away. There's a lot of nuanced stuff that happens with these medicines where you have this experience, and I'm sure many of you are listening who have already had these experiences. You, there's a knowing and so, um, you know, in this human experience, we try to point at characteristics that remind us and what happened and let's get the data all down. But in that world, there is this knowing immediately, you know, things and and that's what's so miraculous and wonderful about them. What, what I find a lot unexpected is the character that comes through with some of these these beings and um, I asked about it early on with ayahuasca, I said, you know, where did um, do our personalities come from? And she said they come from us. And I, I, I think that that's <laughs> something that we've all had an experience of. There's very distinctive characters, you know. Iboga is, um, for lack of a better word, a hard ass. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we know yeah. he's very strict, and he's gonna, you know, he's got a great sense of humor too. Like you could make a character sketch of, and we often do of, of a lot of these medicines. Um, mother's very loving, and you know, can be kind and patient and understanding. And at the same time, there are times when you know she's got to give you um, a big forceful nudge. <laughs> I find with. Uh ayahuasca a common pattern is that she shows you what you need to be shown whether you ask for it or not um i recently completed and that's the same with that iboga by the way i bet (laughs) um with with the san pedro cactus i i did i went i did an all-night ceremony uh quite recently it was very beautiful it was a very very different style it was a guy from europe and he seemed to channel a kind of um, medieval European shamanism. It's, uh, a lot of my visions were quite, um, they, they looked like carvings from a cathedral or something in brown wood. It was very different. And we were sitting up at the end of our mats all night, sort of uh, straight back, no going to sleep, no lying down, at least until the last part of the ceremony. So it was very physically demanding. And we were all asked, invited to hold, help hold the energy and hold the container. Um, uh, but but what I what I found was um, that uh, the as this shaman said, um, wachuma is a medicine that gives up its secrets a little bit more guardedly. You, I found, and it was true, you, you have to kind of pay close attention. It's more like being whispered to than shouted at. It's easy to miss the lessons, actually. So you, you will find uh, in your journey, if you choose to work with these uh, visionary plants or teacher plants, that uh, each one will have a different personality or style. They complement each other if, if, uh, if you're handling them with reverence. And um, it's a matter of, in a sense, learning. If you think back to when you were in school, you know, you might have had a science teacher who was 
demanding one way or an art teacher that was demanding another way and you would learn how to get on their good side kind of thing or you'd know when what, what to avoid with them and it's a little bit like that with these teacher plants. And they, they you know, another thing you touched on was the responsiveness um, and, and that is true, like we, we truly do have a relationship with them and they can sense, as you pointed out, when we pull back, you know, so, so the grandfather or is that how he's referred to, Wachuma? Yes. He, um, he commented when he sensed that you were pulling back, or the, the snakes did, rather. You know, they yes. commented. They, they knew. They felt that you were doing that. Yeah. Iboga did that with me, too. And because he came on strong one point and he's like showing up as a cowboy, like, you know, and, and it was just really funny and weird and, and it was great. But I was used to this very strict guy that I, I've got to kind of, you know, um, suck up all my nerve to face. And then there he is, like showing up like this ludicrous person and, and making me laugh. And then um, and, and I pulled back a little bit inside. You know, and these things that are happening inside of us have these great, this much greater significance and much greater impact than we realize. And when the medicines, they're entirely sensitive to this, they know exactly what's going on with you. And he said, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Now we're, now we're going to have to deal with that. Mm. You want to deal with this? You want to deal with that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just kind of pointing out you're creating more problems. And then I just said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not used to this. Like I, you're, it's, a, it's like you're being so casual, like you know me or something. And, mm. and he said, I've known you for a very long time. <laughs> the, um, uh, another thing I found um, that you probably relate to is uh, I was warned, for example, that once you've worked with ayahuasca, when you return, if you do, to trying to work with, say, psilocybin mushrooms, that you will find that the mushrooms become basically an ayahuasca experience. Oh, yeah, and yeah th absolutely. And that was very much my experience. And in fact, um, I actually tried to use, even though I should have known better, um, I tried to use psilocybin in a kind of recreational uh, way. I was going on a Toronto Island boat cruise with the Love Lucian dance party, and uh, somebody suggested, oh, just bring, a, bring along a kind of microdose of mushrooms. Maybe you'll see some colors and this kind of thing. So I took what for me would be normally a very small dose of these, not even a breakthrough dose. And didn't I spend the next five hours below deck just tripping like... <laughs> insane ayahuasca experience with the visions and the downloads and the teachings and it was very clear to me that I cannot ever use these things in the way that other people might and what it felt like to me was that a portal has been opened some might call it a neural pathway and so um, that that door we maybe it's the third eye is opened and so it takes very little of, of any variety of things to open up that doorway. The one, the one medicine, the, so I sort of, this put me in a place where I started to think, well, geez, there's something I could work with that would be milder, more gentle. Because I got tired of having my ass handed to me all the time with these <laughs> big experiences. You know, I wanted to go from painting in frescoes to working in scrimshaw. And what I found was uh, consuming a very small dose of uh, edible cannabis would bring me to the same place. Uh, I wouldn't say exactly the same place as ayahuasca, but certainly the same uh, 
terrain as these teacher plants. And it was very similar, very beautiful. I have had some of the most profound teachings, but it's been gentler. About the third time I did it, it was in a flotation tank. And I feel that I met the cannabis spirit. And it was very intimidating. She kind of crept up on me. I didn't see her face on. It was like she was standing behind me. And she said, and again, this is a third different medicine voice, um, I know you've worked with my brother and sister, meaning the ayahuasca and San Pedro. And she said, you're going to be working with me now, and I am the master plant. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite intimidating. It was a little bit, I often say it was like the scene in Lord of the Rings where the fairy princess holds the ring and starts to tremble and starts to realize what power she has. It was like, I realized, okay, I'm going to go along with this, but I realized this is a very powerful plant and it was quite intimidating. And I had this feeling like she can enslave you. And I think we've, I think we've <laughs> I think, all known yeah, people, a lot of people have been have ensla enslaved this. by cannabis. But um, I've only done it a few times and I've got a lot out of it. And uh, some other time I can tell some of the longer anecdotes about some of the visions. But just fantastic uh, to discover that here's another plant that we, we normally think of as, oh, let's legalize smoking marijuana. And that's where people are thinking. And I'm glad the door is being kicked open. But this is actually a very ancient teacher plant, and sure. and it was, well, there's evidence from wall paintings that this was used by yogis, um, thousands of years ago, and was part of what allowed them to see the blue-skinned deities. You know. Oh well, I, I think that they that has been a tradition in India and in in some spiritual circles for yeah for that long and continued. You know, it wasn't. It's I don't think it's ever stopped. Mm. Um, but. Uh, it's interesting that she used the word master plant because, mm -hmm. you know, um, there are a lot of people who are saying these are these kinds of plants and those are not. And, and there's this whole hierarchy that's given. And there's something inside me that, that really kind of wasn't all on board with all of that, you yeah. know. And and I, I I can't say that I I know exactly why, but um, I suspect it's, it's it's things like this where you you know we discover that there you go you have had this experience with this medicine and in and it's in no way you know different uh, in terms of the legitimacy of it than any other experience with ayahuasca or iboga and. And she is stating very clearly she is a master plant, and that's the relationship you have with her now. And so I do think these things are fluid. I think that some people are meant to work with some plants, and I think that there are innumerable possibilities with cannabis. I, I met a person in one uh, ayahuasca ceremony, and it was his seventh <laughs> ceremony, and he had not felt any effect. And he had gone, I noticed he went up for the second cup, and I was just flying all night on this very powerful, very light-filled medicine. And uh, in the morning after, he seemed dejected and he was frustrated and that he was spending all this time and energy trying to have a relationship with ayahuasca. And I said to him, you know, and I, I recommend this to other people, you know, if the plant doesn't choose you, which is how I think of it, uh, after a number of times, there are other things out there. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, this uh, past weekend, I spoke to a woman who had just come back from Peru and she had dieted 
rose, like the, the flower rose. And This is not the first time I've heard this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. We had a little conversation about what, what that was like. And this is a very strict diet where you're only eating plantain and drinking water and dieting the rose. Um, but uh, uh, there, there are um, not quite a few, and this is an area that I intend to start exploring further because my host on this uh, weekend, it wasn't exactly a retreat, but it was just a gathering of people out near Bancroft. Um, he, he gave me a couple of books to look at that, are, that explore the plants that were used by um, healers and shamans during, in, in ancient Europe. And I mean, they're still used by shamans today. And there's things like mugwort and all kinds of very subtle plants that are worth looking at. Point of the story is, if you're not resonating with a particular plant and you start to get the message that it's not working with you even though you want to work with it, uh, you needn't despair. There are other things you can explore and maybe have a better result with, and maybe in the future you can have a relationship with a particular plant. Sure. It's, not, it's not something to get hung up with, and, and for goodness sake, don't get competitive about it. Yeah, no, that that's not helpful. And when you think about it, especially with this, you know, dieta with the roads, we have these relationships with plants all the time. We eat plants all the time, you know, yeah, and we funny. just, it, we've come to a place after working with, with some of these teacher plants that we just discover what's already happening, you know, that we be becoming more aware of the fact that we do have this relationship and we've just got to work on it and become more aware and learn more. And and it can be a fascinating and wonderful experience. It's funny that in our um, our culture, if somebody gives, if a doctor gives you a, 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 a something in pill form, people say, "Oh, this is this is a medicine. medicine. This is good for me." Yeah. That may actually be derived from a plant, and quite, they all and quite often, um, it's a dirty little secret of the big pharma is they'll send Someone scientists down to, the, down yeah. to <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the jungle to go out with the kiranderos and see what it is they're harvesting. And then they figure, well, how can we patent this and turn it into a pill? So there's a, a great irony in the pejorative attitude that some North Americans have against what they view as, you know, witchcraft or some kind of primitive uh, version of medicine. I, I've often said that depending on what it is, I would, uh, if I was diagnosed with something serious for certain conditions, I'd be on a plane to Peru uh, before I'd Very be quickly. taking a cab to the hospital. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I wanted to comment on a couple of things. Um, yeah, um, I guess we'll just return to the mushrooms and... Oh, that's a good segue because if you're just uh, pausing to collect your thoughts, I was going to mention there's a wonderful book about which I believe there's been a short documentary made um, that explores the use of psilocybin mushrooms and the Amanita muscaria in early Christianity. And it's a, a fabulous book. It's called The Psychedelic Gospels, The Secret History of Hallucinogens in Christianity by uh, Jerry uh, Brown and his wife, Julie Brown. That's not the governor of California, Jerry Brown. It's a scholar. Um, so. and, and there's a rich history um, for throughout... Uh, medieval Europe right up until the time of the Inquisition, which is what put an end to this, of the use of shamanic plants, because there was not um, 
let's put it this way, the, the, um, uh, the Christian elders in the early church and the uh, pagan leaders uh, got along very well with each other, and that's how there was this sort of literally cross-pollination of cultures, and the, these um, mushrooms show up in Chartres Cathedral, stained glass, and throughout the art and iconography. And nobody knew this because um, the art historians were not mycologists, but Jerry Brown is, and he, he got onto this. So it's worth, worth checking out and worth thinking about if one wants to address the uptightness that people tend to have around this, that this, their, this um, idea of being uptight about visionary plants is actually a fairly recent invention. So the scholar has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to get back to our experiences. It's, it's like but I know you. <laughs> suddenly, I'm trying to think. Okay, what am I? What can I add to this? Wait a minute. We were talking about our experiences, and I want to return there so that. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you know, I, I there's there's it's fascinating the background and the history and 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 all of that. But you know, I think that um, what draws me in. And what I think people can relate to more often is is human experience that we've actually had, like uh, the person tell the person telling their story. <clears throat> this is what drew me in. I mean, there's a lot of of fascinating books out there, and you can go in all kinds of directions in terms of different people's beliefs who wrote them. Um, but when you have a human being saying, "I experienced this like last week or last month or last year." And, and here's how it plays out in my life kind of thing. It's, it's a very powerful thing. It's accessible to all of us. In a way, I guess what I'm implying is that um, a lot of what uh, religion has set up as an experience that somebody else had long ago is something that you and I can access. Are and, having. And we can have an encounter with the numinous, for want of a better term, So, ourselves. yeah, that's a very good, um, that's a, good, a very good point. In fact, you know, I was brought up in the Catholic religion, although um, I rejected it uh, most pointedly at the age of seven. Uh, I was just, I was in Catholic school, and I just knew this was not for me. I loved the idea of Jesus. He sounded like a great guy. But what I saw around me and all these people who uh, purportedly, you know, supported this religion that, that he was all about, I, I couldn't see the two. I couldn't really... Um, see the two together, the, you know, all of the, uh, <laughs> the behavior and the structure and the, the strictness and the cruelty um, associated with this person who seemed to be about such wonderful things. Um, but years later, I have these um, experiences with teacher plants and the kinds of things that they're teaching me and the kinds of experiences I'm having with them, even without having ingested anything, um, for years afterwards, I start to understand the stories in the Bible a lot better. I, I start to understand the people who hear these voices yes. and, and are being told to do things and are, are being made to understand that the way that they're living has to change and are being helped to understand, you know, a better way of viewing the world and of approaching it and the importance of love and the power of it and not to be seduced by, you know, these other things. And, and all of it, it suddenly makes sense to me. I mean, sure, there are still things that are mysterious about it. There are things that are very mysterious about my own experiences, but um, I can relate to it a great deal. And, 
Another thing that I, <clears throat> I, I see is that there are personal experiences. I, I love sharing them. I, I think, you know, whoever feels comfortable, I would love to see more people share them. And I think it can help us a great deal. Having said, and there are things that with these stories that are going to resonate with us, and, and that's a great experience. Having said that, when you decide that this becomes, this must be the way it is for everybody, um, you, you create these these stern sort of laws, and, and that's what religion is, you know, and it, it has to be the truth for everybody. And then, you know, it becomes this institution that, that is full of barriers and um, I think that that's, that's what happened. You know, people were very inspired by these stories, and, and the Bible was written, and all these various stories coming together to create this, this document that was suddenly treated as a law. And I can see very personalized experiences happening, like, you know, what, what I needed to know about and what helped me may not, the next person may be a very different story. And, and we have to, or I think that it's very wise for us to be aware of that, you know, and be okay with, you know, going inside and saying, does that truly resonate with me? Is that something that I feel is for me? Because we, we do have that knowledge inside. I can't tell you how many times the medicine says to me, you know this. Yes. You do know this. We all have this incredible wisdom inside of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I believe the medicines, all they're trying to do is remind us that it's there, you know, and get us to agree to explore that possibility that there it is inside of us and we know it. We it, just have to get rid of all the crap that made us believe that we didn't. <laughs> and it's, you know, we have to be gentle with ourselves because, in truth, it's very early days, for, especially for those of us from Europe and North America, um, in, in coming into relationship with this uh, many thousands-year-old tradition. Um, if somebody grows up in a Shipibo or another culture um, in the upper Amazon, um, They'll, they'll be raised with the not only these plant medicines, but the cultural assumptions behind them. Um, we're just discovering, really, how to work with these things. I know there was a first wave in the 1960s and 70s, and now it's coming back in a big way. Um, <clears throat> I think I've heard some, like, there's so much to learn. Uh, I w became interested a while ago in Salvia divinorum, and uh, had heard some crazy stories, like most of us have, of people's encounters with that um, plant. And one of the things that somebody said to me was, well, you realize that with that plant, it doesn't like the fact that it's been uprooted from its homeland. Uh, I don't, Which is where? I, I'm not sure. I stand to be corrected. I thought it was uh, in Mexico. Um, but but wherever it is, um, they were saying that they had received a message when they tried it that it was kind of pissed off to be used outside of its ancestral lands. And, you know, who knows whether that's true or not. But I think that there are a lot of nuances that we're going to have to collectively uh, compare notes about and share experiences to, and see what patterns we, we can come up with. Um, I have a friend who... Um, was guided by the medicine uh, to, because everybody always wants to get the actual ayahuasca, for example, from the Amazon. And he's been working <coughs> on creating a version of ayahuasca in Canada using local tree barks and plants with, uh, oh, goodness. with some uh, tremendous success, actually, because the 
medicine specifically had said to him, we need to get off fetishizing, always taking the vines out of another country and perhaps start to explore um, the working with the plants to the that are indigenous to where we live, which I thought was very interesting. So um, mushrooms, to get back to, <laughs> I think that I was going to tell a story about mushrooms. All right. Um, uh, yeah, you were mentioning that um, you you can't take them recreationally anymore. I guess that I did when I was younger too, of course. But you know, once you're on this path, um, yeah, I don't think that that's possible. And and I don't know that I would ever really want to. I mean, but sometimes, you know, my intention is, hey, I would. I, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of challenging situations. I continue to. It's fine. I respect that. But sometimes it's like, hey, let's have a light. Let's have a lighter mm-hmm. medicine experience, can we? Yes. You know, <laughs> for this once, please. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, they, they, they seem to, you know, I mean, it's, they take it under advisement. But, you know, in the end, this, they give you what you need, you know, and, and we... I guess, have to appreciate that they're in a position to understand that a little better than we are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be going to them. Yes. And, and yeah, I, I had this one experience where I wanted to have this lighter experience, but I needed to be told some things. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the, these medicines working together, this, this experience hinted at, and actually, you know, very strongly about you know, moving away from certain people that whose presence it, it just wasn't healthy for me to be around. And then, of course, when I experienced ayahuasca after that, she was uh, just, you know, downright um, um, <laughs> very direct and very powerfully warning me about this and, and showing me and, and making a very strict and, um, and loud point of it. <laughs> It's funny, I, um, I've, I've had a range of experiences with psilocybin. The one I mentioned that was more of an ayahuasca experience. And uh, it's, a couple of summers ago, I was on a paddling trip with my brother and consumed uh, psilocybin mushrooms in a capsule form and went for a, a paddle and crossed a little bay. This is way up in the north. And I remember lying on a log, a huge log that had moss covered, covering uh, across a little creek and lying on my back, staring up into the foliage, um, the canopy of the forest above me. And what was interesting in that one was it wasn't so much um, the kind of teaching sort of thing in, the, in that sense, although I guess all of it's a teaching, but I had a really interesting experience where... Um, what happened was, you know, if you think about it, when you, wherever you are, if you look around your surroundings, you have your peripheral vision taking in the broader scene, but you can only actually focus your, your, your gaze at a single point in front of you at any time, and that obviously comes from our deep history as hunter-gatherers and success in hunting. Um, so what happened in this experience was that 
my ability to focus my gaze became dispersed. So in a sense, my focused vision became my peripheral vision. And so I was able to simultaneously focus on every detail of every leaf and every branch and every twig up in the forest canopy. And it was absolutely marvelous. I didn't realize how much had been normally filtered out by the way we normally see things. And the takeaway from that for me was I was able to see the fractal um, geometry in nature. I was able to see the Fibonacci sequence in, Beautiful. you know, the, the tree limbs become a certain proportion to the branches, to the twigs. They're not all identical. There's a little bit of variation. But effectively, I was able to see the math and the geometry in this tree canopy above me. And I'll never... I'll never look at nature the same way. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm, it makes you not only aware of um, how incredible the world is that we're in, but it also ma made me, got me present to the limitations of my ordinary state of consciousness, which, you know, when, you, when you've only ever seen the world in this one particular way that allows you to hunt, or in our case, maybe to read on a computer screen, and then you're exposed to a totally different way of seeing through your eyes. It makes you realize how very selective um, the human, ordinary human experience is. Oh yeah, I'm. When you were describing that, I was wondering how many animals actually see that way. You know. Oh yeah, I, I imagine all the. Well, now when I look at uh, videos of octopuses and. Uh, you know, are they octopuses or are they octopi? It, it's octopuses. I figured you're the right uh, person to ask I, this question. I checked that out, yeah, because I had to write that in an article, and I, <laughs> I searched it. It's actually octopuses. It's pretty okay. funny. Well, but it's but a imagine great seeing with, there are some creatures that I think, you know, see with their whole bodies or they live on the bottom of the sea and they see through their feelers. I mean, we're just, we're, there are so many psychedelic animals out there having the most sure. amazing trips. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, one of the first experiences I had just, you know, at the experience where this guidance kicked in, where this medicine voice um, decided that it was going to be with me um, long after I had experienced the medicine was um, when I was in my shower and I'm looking down at my feet and the thought that occurred to me was um, about my experience in Peru where I went barefoot for a few days. And one of the facilitators said, um, that's, you know, that's great. Do you know you have more pores in your feet than anywhere in your body? And then fast forward, I'm home looking at my feet, thinking about this. <laughs> and the medicine voice kicked in and said, that's how they knew how to get home. And immediately I knew she was talking about early indigenous cultures and how they navigated their world. So Whoa. they were seeing the world through their feet. Oh, wow. That's were, really interesting. They were literally feeling their way home. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love yes. that. I, some, of, some of my own uh, journeys with different plants, especially ayahuasca, but also uh, wachuma and others, um, has got me present, and, and that experience I had with the LSD and the supersonic hearing has got me present to the reality that we were trained through childhood in industrialized countries to sit at desks under fluorescent lights <laughs> oh, and God, yeah. do repetitive tasks, calculating, writing. So our, all of that sort of um, natural uh, affinity was kind of trained out of us. We, we have to work very hard to have 
um, that sort of natural, and you just imagine somebody growing up, whether it's uh, uh, somewhere in Africa or in the jungles of South America, and you just imagine the natural literacy that they have and their ability to hear and their ability to mimic the calls of almost any oh, yeah. bird or animal. They just have, it would be such a rich experience and you'd be feeling it through your whole body. Um, we have to work very hard to get out of our heads um, after, you know, depending on how long you stayed in school, you know, <laughs> from 13 to 18 years of of this uh, conditioning that makes us good little factory workers or office workers. You know, um, one of the experiences I've had was um, I was directed towards certain oils, you know, to use. One of them was sesame seed oil, and, and I learned that there's a rich history of that use in um, in India and, and for certain things. So uh, it would never have occurred to me to use it before. But this is when I was also getting into uh, making things for myself and these these uh, these essential oil blends. And I was curious as to, because, you know, everybody knows that, for example, chamomile is good for, you know, your stomach or for calming or for this or that. But, you know, what about these blends and, and, and you know, what's the significance of them? And there's this vibrational aspect to it. Um, uh, vibration and frequency and something that we can measure in plants and, and in us and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's our relationship with nature, which we're divorced from in the city. We're divorced from even in, in many places where we're not actually immersed in nature like we were in Peru and all the rest of it. So this is a way of us, these intensive, like potent oils are, are a way of us reestablishing that. Yes, interesting. Like there were times when... Um, I'd go through this period and I'd hear, lavender is your friend. <laughs> and it was like lavender, 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 everything. Every time I had a choice of doing something, it was lavender all the way. And so, you know, like you were saying with the rose, we, we, we do. We have these relationships with these plants that, you know, play out in our everyday lives and the tea we choose and things like this. And we don't even know it and becoming more aware of that and, and honing that knowledge inside of us that we're just starting to tap into and moving toward what really attracts us. And it's, it's going to be, a, it can be a very powerful thing. I don't know if you had this experience. I, um, I had it uh, in spades. Uh, sometimes when we make a decision to work with plants like ayahuasca, um, we start having the experience in advance of the experience. Um, it's like, oh, yeah. and I felt um, a few months in 2013 before I went down to Peru. I, I had my plane ticket. I prepaid for my trip, so that I was I was definitely committed to it. And I started, and this is going to sound crazy to some people, but I I really felt when I would go for walks with the dog that it was almost like the the trees were whispering among themselves. They were looking at me, and they knew there was almost like there was some communication going on that. It was like, yeah, we know what you're going to do, and we, we have a sense that you're entering our world now, the, the Vegetale Kingdom. Oh, cool. Yeah, the, you know, it's been, it's been, stories have been told about this forever. Even this psychologist that I interviewed has done an extensive study. They, these medicines work with you. Um, outside of you actually ingesting them. And what I find and what a lot of people will confirm is that once you make that commitment 
once you're like, I've made the decision, bought the ticket, whatever the case may be, made some kind of action that was the, com the commitment, then that's the point at which they begin to work with you. And I think they talk to each other. That's the other thing. Oh, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a little gossip society. <laughs> they're talking it. to each other with, through their mycelium. <laughs> so even though their branches may not be touching, the roots are connected. They're feeding each other. They're kind of really laughing at us as we're traipsing through the forest like, oh, sweating. Boy. Poor boy. He has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> And often it is, you know, um, I often say if, if we knew exactly what was going to happen, you know, we might back out. But, um, yeah, no, this medicine, they, they work with everybody in a very unique way. And I think that opening up to it, I know this sounds like, okay, what does that mean? But even just contemplating the meaning of it and searching, honestly, searching for um, what that means to you. Is, is a very first step, you know, in experiencing these kinds of things, saying, okay, I'm agreeing to, to say that's a possibility and looking to, you know, confirm that that's possible. Um, I know that we're almost out of time, and I yeah. think we'll probably have to save conversations about DMT and toad medicine and combo and some of these other things for another time. Absolutely. But, I, but you... you you brought up iboga. We've kind of covered a few of the plants that are close to the ayahuasca family, but maybe we could go out with you um, talking a little bit more about what iboga is. Um, I don't. I've never done it myself, although I've read quite a bit about it. Was it? Not, I believe it was the sacred um, uh, entheogen to the Dogon in Mali in West Africa, or something like that. But um, it's something that is available here in North America, correct? Yeah, it is, and 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 it's it's legal. But I mean, I think that there are certain. Um, there are certain restrictions. There are certain ways that that it is legal, um, and and there are uh, places where people who are addicted can go and take it in a clinical setting. Um, personally, you know, I would recommend doing it more traditionally, but um, everybody's going to make their own decision. There's a boga is and, a tree. A, and a boga gain, which I think Ibogaine. is derived, yeah. or ibogain, which is so, derived from. Yeah, yeah, that's the concentrated. Um, stuff that they put in, in, in a capsule. But you did it in more the traditional way. Did you did you have to go out to BC to do that? I know there's retreat centers out there. Originally I did it in Costa Rica actually and oh, okay. and then I did it here. Um but um there's the bark uh of the tree itself and you have to ingest that bark and that's not easy always but uh it's well worth it, and then and then it's often followed up with with a dose of uh, of the the more the potent stuff. I heard that some people. Uh, one person was telling me she did it over a course of a couple of days, and she would be redosed every hour or every couple of hours. So I've, I know that some of the modalities are shorter, and some of them seem to want you to submit to a kind of weekend type experience you know you start on a friday evening and you finish on a sunday afternoon well the truth is it's like um over eight hours potentially just if you do it just once wow all right so and then when you uh, afterwards there's almost almost always lingering experiences um and visitations potentially and all kinds of interesting stuff. Iboga is one of the strongest medicines that I know of and um, it's it's an experience. You have to fully commit and um, 
It's worth sharing for just for people's knowledge that it has an extremely high success rate for people who've been addicted to things like heroin and so on. So if you know someone who's suffering from that and hasn't been able to kick it, um, I've, I've, I don't want to exaggerate, but I've heard that people have been cured of 20-year addictions in as little as one experience with Iboga. So it's worth checking into. Yeah, it is, and, and Michael um, Cassidy has a lot of information on that, too. Um, and we do Iboga Talks here every now and then, and we will do another show on Iboga for sure, but I'll talk about it more next because uh, Guy and I, uh, we have to sign off now, and we'll definitely do another show where we talk about more of the medicines. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye for now. You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com.